going to start with a question. What is your best teenage memories? Your best teenage memories. I asked that a couple people this past week, and they said, Dave, you're setting us up for failure. There's some good ones in there. I know there are. Your best teenage memories. It might be getting together with a group of friends, and you're talking about your crush. You're talking about how difficult a class is. You're talking about the weekend that was or the weekend to be. Some of you immediately think about the projects you were working on. You think about buying that car and working hard to make it look impressive so that you could pick up that date. Some of you think about camping or that hobby you're a part of. Others, you might be thinking about the band you were a part of, your youth group or family vacation. Like many of you, I don't have a lot of fond memories of being in junior high, but there's one memory that I think of pretty regularly. My best friend, Dan, lived two doors down. And I was a teenager in the 90s, so video games were in their heyday with the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. And in 1991, the video game Street Fighter II came out. And this was a glorious, impressive, powerful video game. Never before had something come out like this. You were used to being a red-hatted plumber who had to go help your princess come back from Bowser. But here, you have eight international fighters, all with their own special moves, all with ways that you can um, beat up your buddies or beat up the computer, all with their own unique endings. And me and my buddy Dan went down this journey of enjoying fighting and martial arts movies. So, of course, it starts with someone like Jackie Chan, with Bruce Lee, maybe you've heard of Jean-Claude Van Damme, and thank goodness for my buddy Dan's older brother, because he introduced us to one of the greatest fighting movies of all time. I'm not sure I ever grew out of that stage, because a few weeks ago I was flying on an airplane and Creed II was a movie that was available to watch, part of the Rocky franchise, and I think the guy sitting beside me on the airplane thought I had developed a nervous twitch, because every time a boxing match came on, I was going back and forth. <laughs> I say this to some of my coworkers regularly, I'm not sure if I should be proud or embarrassed. I was coaching my three-year-old's soccer team, and his, uh, him and his older brother came with me to go to a storage locker to pick up their soccer equipment for the year, and they were singing. I didn't start this. They were singing, you got mud on your face, you big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, and they're walking down singing, we will, we will Are you ready for a fight? Last week, Pastor Mel launched us into this brand new sermon series with an introduction on the book of Joshua. And if you're new to church and you want a hard copy of the Bible, we would gladly give you one. You can see someone at the Connect booth after the service. Or if you want to have a Bible with you at all times, you can take out your smartphone and download a bible.com slash app. We're in the book of Joshua. Big numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are the verse numbers. And we're going to be taking a look at the entirety of Joshua chapter 1. But whether you're new to church, you just need a reminder how the Bible is set up so far. Here's what happens. The first five books of the Bible have a few different names. They can be called the Law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we hit Joshua. 
In these first five books of the Bible, it includes the story of creation, the fall of man, which is how humanity broke their perfect relationship with God, how the nation of Israel began, how they ended up in Egypt, and then Moses rescuing God's people out of Egypt, taking them across the Red Sea and into the desert. At the end of those five books, Moses, the leaders of the Israelites, has brought God's people to the entrance of the promised land, to the land of Canaan, and he gives them this powerful speech. And then after that speech is over, Moses climbs a mountain to look across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. His feet will never touch that ground. And God speaks to him in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 4, Moses This is the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. The next verse, verse 5, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. A few verses later, not just the chapter, not just the book, but an entire genre comes to a close. And then the book of Joshua you enjoy taking notes, the first part of our outline is the marching orders. This is verses one to five. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't want to discount how difficult 40 years in the desert must have been, but rarely were the Israelites actually fearful for their lives. They were given food every morning. God told them whether they should camp or whether they should hike. Their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't have to plant food. They didn't need to set up towns or cities or walls. Again, I'm not saying it was easy, but I am saying it was pretty simple. If you're unfamiliar with the biblical story, here's what happens. After God rescues them out of of Egypt and takes them across the Red Sea, they get to a mountain where uh, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and then starts to talk to them. Over the next 40 years... God provides them um, with food every single day by something called manna coming down from heaven that took place in the middle of the night. God led them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day, and they knew that they would be completely taken care of. If you're hearing this for the first time or even the 30th time, you might say, Dave, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that there was a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire? Do you believe that God provided food for them every single night? I do. Because no matter what your religious background, no matter what your faith might be, all of us have a belief system in something. Whatever you believe, it takes faith. If you're an Islamic, it takes faith to believe the five pillars will get you to heaven. If you're a Hindu, it takes faith as you trust in the pantheon of gods. Even atheism takes faith in believing God doesn't exist, means answering a whole bunch of difficult questions on your own. Back to Israel. Everything has been provided for them. Food has been provided. Direction has been provided. Protection has been provided. They haven't had to plant any crops, pull any weeds, build any walls, set up market. God has provided everything. 
by crossing over the Jordan River. It's a new beginning. And they are saying to the Canaanites, we're here, and this is a declaration of war. Imagine you're at home tonight. It's about 6 o'clock. You're cooking supper. Suddenly the doorbell rings, and you think to yourself, not, not expecting anybody. So you walk over to your front door. You look through the peephole, and it's me. You're obviously thrilled. <laughs> so you open the front door, and I walk in with one of those big 70-pound backpacks, and I say, hey, you know what? Uh, I've been to your house before. I've decided I like your house more than my house. I like your food more than my food, and I like your location better than my location. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up camp in your living room, and I ain't moving. And you think to yourself, well, this is kind of weird. You pull the chicken casserole out of the oven, you put it up on top of the stove, and I walk over and I help myself, and I say, thank you very much. And you're thinking, this is bizarre. This isn't a pastoral visit. This is like a hostile takeover. And then I hear that you're having ice cream for dessert, so I call my wife and I say, hey, I know the kids don't like regular food. They love ice cream. So my wife comes in with our six-year-old, our four-year-old, and our two-year-old, and you're thinking, what's going on here? I'm taking over your house. Might be a funny illustration, but how are you feeling about your new house guests? How do you think the Canaanites feel when this nation of well over a million people cross the Jordan and set up camp in their land. Of course the Canaanites want to protect their land, and of course the Israelites are a little bit nervous about these marching orders. But a new chapter begins, and the question remains, are you ready for a fight? There's a parallel passage to Joshua chapter 1, one that you might be familiar with. It's the Great Commission found at the end of Matthew and the other Gospels as well. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the parallels aren't really obvious, but let me walk through it with you. In Joshua chapter 1 and Matthew 28, we have this idea of authority. In Joshua chapter 1, the authority to lead Israel has passed from Moses to Joshua. If you have your Bibles, your phones open, you can still see it take place there. In Matthew 28, we are told that Jesus has been given authority not only over all of God's people, but over all of creation. In Joshua chapter 1, it says the nations will be impacted. You're going to go into Canaan and clean house. In Matthew 28, Jesus says the nations are going to be impacted. You're going to go around the world making disciples of all nations. And while you might be looking at the front, take a moment to just glance around you. And look at all the different nationalities that are represented in this room. In Joshua chapter 1, we are told that God's presence is with Joshua. And what's that very last verse in the book of Matthew? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. While it's not seen in Matthew 28, certainly seen throughout the rest of the New Testament, that we have a promised land that we are going to. And we call it heaven where we will enter an eternal rest. Here's the difference. Both us today and Israel over 3,000 years ago are about to fight a holy war. They are fighting against humanity to send them out of the promised land. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the spiritual realms that are taking place all around us. 
We're fighting a spiritual battle for our souls and for the souls of those who are our friends, our family members, our coworkers, or classmates who don't yet know Jesus. So these are our marching orders. For that to happen, it'll take a call to courage. This is verses six to nine. Listen to the repetition of the word courage. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you might be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times, four verses. If you count saying the word in the negative, it actually happens four times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Don't be discouraged. Be courageous. This isn't about an impressive speech your boss gives you at staff meeting or even your coach before a big game. It's not a poster that your HR manager puts in the wall of the uh, workforce. Courage comes from our belief system, whatever that belief system might be. For Rocky, here's this small Italian living in Philly, and he believed he could be the greatest heavyweight champion in the world. I know it's a movie. Did anybody think this team would win the NBA championship last year? (laughs) None of the ESPN talking heads did. They said Golden State in five. And one of my favorite stories, one that was rarely told, is that Toronto headed to Golden State, and Nick Nurse, the coach of the Toronto Raptors, says, we're going for a split. We expect we'll lose one, but we're going to win one, and then we're going to come back tied. The Toronto Raptors all-star Kawhi Leonard says, "Uh uh-uh. A little more colorful than that, I'm sure. We're going to go into Golden State, and we're going to win both games. We're going to come back Toronto, and we're going to win it all. He had a belief system that his team was capable of beating one of the greatest teams in NBA history. J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, was rejected, listen to this, 12 times before a publisher finally picked up her novels. The engineers who hope and dream to work at Apple because they believe their product is better than anything else. And God is meeting with Joshua, one-on-one. He says, this isn't about believing in yourself or your team or your product. This is about believing in me. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because I am with you. When you get together with your friends or your family members over lunch on Sundays, you probably think to yourselves, I wish Dave and Mel brought up more literary techniques. We could really use some of that. Today's your lucky day. There's something called a chiasm. A chiasm is a literary technique where the author repeats one or more phrases in an X-shaped structure. Not riveting conversation, but follow along because I think it's powerful. In the second half of verse, uh, uh, verse 9, and at the beginning of verse 5, there's no A and B in your Bibles. That just means first half or second half. We see this idea that God is with Joshua. This is Joshua's belief system. This is the good news. Wherever you go, Joshua, whatever challenges you're going to face, whatever stands in front of you, don't 
be afraid. I am with you. Well, these words in the opening chapter are directed personally at Joshua. We know from Matthew 28 that we just looked at a moment ago and from Hebrews chapter 13 that quotes Joshua 1 verse 5. This is true for us today. We read in the book of Hebrews, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's interesting that word confidence can actually be translated courageous as well. Why? Because God is with you. Be strong and courageous. The book of Joshua is early on in the biblical narrative, meaning he doesn't have the story of David slaying a giant. He doesn't have the story of Daniel going down to the lion's den. But he spent time with Moses. And he's heard the story of how this man named Noah built a boat when there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. He knows the story of Abraham and how God promised him that there would be descendants, wealth, and land. And it happened over and over again, and he was on the cusp of seeing that become a reality. He was Moses' apprentice, and he saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And Joshua was thinking to himself, I can be strong and courageous because of that belief system. Then the structure does something interesting. God makes a promise followed by a command. Then he makes a command followed by a promise. The promise, God is with you wherever you go. The command, be strong and courageous. The command, obey the law of Moses followed by the promise. Then you will be successful. Promise, command, command, promise. If you want real and true success, follow the law that God has given you. This is our whole sermon series in base camp. Now, this doesn't mean that you will become rich and powerful because you read the Bible and pray. It doesn't mean that you'll be the best student in your class, that you'll be the leader in your field, and all parents will envy you because of your parental wisdom. It does not mean that your problems will go away. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that you'll grow in wisdom to face the challenges of the day at school, at work, and at home. It does mean that you will grow in peace and understanding that God is bigger than any of the problems that you'll face. It does mean success is coming. It just might look different than what you expect. Pastor Mel told me that in 35 years of pastoral ministry, he's never had as many people talk to him about a sermon series as he did on base camp. We believe as a church leadership team, that the number one way for spiritual growth is by reading the Bible and through prayer. One of our co-workers today, David Holzman, is um, taking the weekend off to spend time with his bride as they celebrate their one-year anniversary. So I want to give him lots of accolades in his absence. He has worked really hard at creating our website and putting uh, article after article under spiritual practices. No article is more than a page long. So if you're looking for Bible reading plans or how to read the Bible or how do I pray or a format in prayer, it's all there, erbc.ca slash spiritual dash practices. If you want to contact David or myself personally, we would love to be in touch with you, whether phone or email after the service or for coffee. So the first half of Joshua, um, chapter one, is nine verses. The second half is an identical nine verses. In the first half, God is speaking to Joshua. The second half, Joshua speaking to the troops. This is him motivating everybody to get them ready. Verses 10 to 15. 
So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Joshua has just met with God and he's got a pretty good pep talk. If the God of the cosmos, the God who created all things, the God who put the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and the beasts on the ground, if that God says he's with you, Joshua says, I'm in. If the God who performs miracle after miracle, who makes a barren woman pregnant, who split the Red Sea, who spoke with thunder and lightning atop a mountain, I am sure Joshua's spine is stiffened. And I am convinced that when he spoke to his troops, when he spoke to his officers, they were thinking, yeah, okay, here we go. But have you ever been around people that just don't pass on that message the same way. My whole life, I have spent time in soccer dressing rooms. And we have had coaches that have encouraged us and inspired us. We have coaches with great strategy. Hopefully, they blend the two together. But occasionally, you have a coach, and it's just awful. I want to show you two clips one is nine seconds long, one is 17 seconds long. They are really short. Two NFL quarterbacks. And you might not be able to quite pick out what they're saying, but I want you to watch the body language. The first is Andy Dalton of the Cincinnati Bengals. Guys, go have some fun today. How much do you say? 2 0. Playmakers on three. One, two, three. These are millionaires. Let's go have some fun today. 2 0. Playmakers on three. Playmakers. Nobody cared. The second quarterback I want to show you is Drew Brees from the New Orleans Saints. Again, you might not be able to hear everything he's saying, but watch the difference in body language. Anybody else want to run through that cinder block with me? They're here to see you. They're here to see you. They're here to see us. They're here to see all of us. Let's be strong. Let's be great. Let's be dangerous. And a whole bunch of grunting. And the guys are all in. Forget hearing or seeing the difference. You can feel the difference. Do you know what the best indicator of future success is? Past success. The Cincinnati Bengals are a terrible NFL franchise. They have the number one pick because they suck. <laughs> Any Bengals fans? That's too bad. Pick a new team. <laughs> the New Orleans Saints are terrific. Not the best team in the league, but absolutely excellent. God has shown Israel that he's at work. He has shown past success, past success, past success. So, of course, you can believe him now. Nation of Israel, remember I have rescued you from slavery. Every single day for 40 years, I have provided you with food. Your clothes have not worn out, nor have your sandals. I have been with you every step of the way. Christian, remember Jesus' sacrifice, that he lived a perfect life. Under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, dead, and buried. Three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. 
spent a few weeks encouraging people, was seen by more than 500 individuals before ascending into heaven, and one day he's coming back. People of Ellerslie, whether you look over the last 12 months, 24 months, or the last five years, think of the past successes that have taken place. Did you know last year at our summer day camp, which is our camp for kids, we had 150 elementary students, over 20% of whom have no church background. Back in September, we had something called training day for anybody who volunteers at the church. 175 people gathered together in this room to celebrate, to be encouraged, and to go into different breakout stations. We have had a coffee house in which we've had well over 100 people attend and have a great time together. So when you think about the marriage night, go, of course it's going to be good. When you look at your personal life and you've experienced those life-changing events, some bad, some good, God is with you through all of them, teaching us, leading us, encouraging us. There's work to be done. Joshua's biggest challenge in motivating the troops might be seen right here in verses 12 to 15. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. If you're hearing this for the very first time, it needs a little bit of explanation. The nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes and has been promised the land of Canaan, and that land has been divided up 12 ways. Pretty straightforward. However, during the time of wandering in the desert, three of the 12 tribes said, Moses, we don't want to wait until we go west of the Jordan. Let us stay here east of the Jordan to set up camp, to build cities, to raise our family. Moses, who was leading the nation at the time, says, I'm paraphrasing, well, isn't that convenient? While your fellow Israelites continue to wander in the desert, you have a place to call home? True, this land isn't as good as the land we will eventually inherit, but why should you rest while your brothers go to war? The three nations respond to Moses in Numbers chapter 32. We will build our sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Now it's time to pay the piper. You have three tribes of Israel on the east side of the Jordan. And Joshua, after 40 years, needs to say to them, hey guys, you know how you're all comfortable and convenient and everything is good over here? Time to leave your women and your kids at home, and I need you to help fight. Not an easy convincing. Do you know what those three tribes said? Those three tribes become the tip of the spear to lead all the nation of Israel into the promised land. And I think that's amazing. 
And if you're taking notes, it's the fourth point, fourth part of the outline, all in. Here's what they say. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Be strong and courageous. These three tribes take that promise incredibly seriously. Not only do they fight, but as I mentioned just a moment ago, they become the tip of the spear. This is Joshua chapter 4, verse 12. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of all the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. Verse 14, that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they revered Moses. They looked at Joshua, and they remembered who he was. Here is Moses' apprentice, the one who stood by his side, the one who has been faithful for the last four decades. They remembered his name. His name, Joshua, means the Lord saves. And if God is for us and has promised us success, who can stand against us? They look at Joshua and remember his track record and see success after success after success. And they say, we're all in. Who's ready for a fight? And Joshua is the precursor to Jesus. They have the exact same name, one in Hebrew, one in Greek. Remember, brothers and sisters, who Jesus is. This isn't an apprentice of one of Israel's greatest leaders. Jesus is Israel's greatest leader, the king of kings, the one who has left the throne room of heaven to lead God's people into a greater promised land. Remember Jesus' name. He doesn't just point to the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves, the one who enters the battle arena that we have no hope of winning on our own and says, I will defeat death and I will conquer sin the one who lived a perfect life and rose from the grave, and it is only in his name that we are saved. Remember Jesus' track record. Joshua was faithful. Jesus was perfect. Every time I think about that, I think about Jesus' 12 disciples. You can ask my wife or my kids, hey, is Dave a good guy? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, he's all right. You ask the disciples, and they're like, Jesus never sinned. At the foot of his cross, Jesus' mother was wailing, knowing her son is the son of God and has done absolutely no wrong and lived a perfect and holy life. The book of Joshua is introducing us to this idea of holy war. The Israelites weren't fighting ghosts or their own imagination. They were fighting flesh and blood. We aren't. But we're very much at war. Galatians chapter 5, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want. The same man who wrote this writes in Romans chapter 7, I'm paraphrasing, I want to do some stuff, but I can't ever seem to do it. And the stuff I don't want to do, I just keep on doing it. So are you ready for a fight? I'm thrilled that base camp was so well received. But if it's one month of saying, I'm, a, I'm good at reading my Bible and praying, it's not sufficient. It needs to become a lifelong practice or else we've failed. 
The reason we have this call to courage is because we know God is always with us. The way to success is by continually going back to the scriptures, meditating on God's word, and believe it to be true. And some of you say to me, Dave, we want black and white application. Just give it to us simple. So here it is. Do you have a time, a place, and a plan for prayer and Bible reading? If you don't, we have a page on our website. It's under our resource tab called Spiritual Practices. I mentioned it earlier. It has uh, ways to read the Bible. It has ways to pray. It has different Bible reading plans. We want to resource you. You can contact me personally. I love talking about this. One more thing before I sign off. I can't tell you how impressed I am with these three tribes. These three tribes who made their home east of the Jordan. These three tribes who for decades had got comfortable and were at ease. And then when Joshua came to them said, we will go up and we will be the tip of the spear to help you fight. And it got me thinking. The end game is not Bible reading and prayer. The end game is not small groups or triads. The end game isn't volunteering in children's ministry or playing on the worship team. The end game is helping others learn how to read the Bible and pray. The end game is multiplying our small groups and triads. The end game is inviting and including people to be a part of what God is doing at Ellerslie, in our community, and around the world. And I love that it's three tribes, 25%, that are saying, we are going to make this happen. And so if you're sitting here going, man, Bible reading, prayer, volunteering, that's easy for me. Praise God. Who are you going to partner with so that it becomes a life practice for them as well? Who are you going to invite into your small group? Who are you going to talk with and say, hey, would you read the Bible and pray with me? And we can meet bi-weekly. Who are you going to say, come join my small group? Come minister with me in Kidsman. It is so fun. See, the best part of entering this fight as we know we've already won. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Joshua. What an absolute joy it is to be working with Mel as we preach through this book. And God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and working through us that we would have the ability to set aside a time and a place and a plan so that we know what to do when we wake up or before we go to bed or throughout the day. For others of us, may we be encouraged and strengthened and emboldened to go fight the good fight, to join with others, and to help them see the glory it is in following you. God, forgive us when we fall short, and fill us with your spirit so that we might do great works for you. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.